I'm Frederick Gerten, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. And this means that we're back at the Pushback Talks. We are. And uh, it's like this n- episode number 20. Oh, if it is, we should have a celebration. 20, that's a milestone. Yeah, yeah, yeah I have a glass of water here. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I I've mean, got some tea. We Perfect. can have some wine. <laughs> we can have some wine later on. <laughs> but, but it's like, cool, we started this like in a way to try to stay relevant in the midst of this uh, pandemic because we can't go anywhere. And now it's getting to be a, a habit to meet you and do this podcast every week. And, and, and of course, it's stressful as a producer at the production company of documentaries that we can't film. And we this podcast is totally not generating any money at all to pay our rents and so on. So it's a bit stressful, but it's still, I tried not to think about that. Now, so Leilani, how's your day? Is there any hope out there? Okay, well, in terms of hope, <laughs> there's a lot of hope. I received from our dear Hope, those of you who listened to the episode, oh, I don't know, many episodes ago, you will have been introduced to Hope, a young 17-year-old Londoner who is really interested in the right to housing and trying to make sure she has a future and that her generation has a future. Anyway, Hope tweeted at me today to tell me that... Our dear friend, the CEO of Blackstone, the big private equity firm, Stephen Schwartzman, is going to be interviewed at the London School of Economics in a public interview. So she and I were brainstorming about trying to get some information like, hmm, the film push to the guy (laughs) who's going to be doing the interview. Uh, So we're working on that. We just, just this morning that happened. So that, I like that. I think that's really, I think it's a smart thing to do. And I'll get the interviewer, the Blackstone letters that I wrote when I was special rapporteur on the right to housing, just so that he is Mm -hmm. well equipped for that interview so that it's not a softball interview. Yeah, cool. And Leilani, you and I, we we didn't know each other before I started to do this film push, but suddenly we, we tend to hang out a lot. And... And during the film shoot, we traveled to many places because that was your job as a UN Special Rapporteur on Adequate Housing. But three years ago today, the day we were recording, we were in Barcelona. We were. It was a special, very special time. It was a special day of many reasons because it was the day where the Spanish authorities arrested a lot of the the regional leaders. Crazy. And we were inside the, the city council uh, with the mayor and on the square outside were all the media and we were like the only film crew on the inside. Mm-hmm. It was like a special feeling and, and at Acolau, the mayor of Barcelona, still the mayor, was really, I mean, she was the most important person in, in Catalonia that day, but she, she still gave us time and I'm, I'm really happy for that and, and what we got into the film. So today... We're, we are returning to we Barcelona. We are. It's special. Yes. Very special. And we are doing it because, you know, these days the, the news media is only talking about two things. It's pandemic or it's uh, American elections something, you know, something it's been. I mean, it will go on forever. This kind of extremely stupid focus on one country on the planet when there are so many more. So 
for us in Sweden, for you in Canada, for and the audience we have you now in 89 countries for this pod- podcast, 89, it's kind of cool, uh, not many people will get through their normal media, get uh, updates on what happens in Spain. So we have a special guest today. We do. And it's a friend of yours. I, I don't know if you've met, but anyway, it's uh, Jaime <laughs> Palomera Saidar, Saidel who is uh, one one of these defenders of the human right of housing, but is also a spokesperson of a new tenant union in, in Spain, formed only four years ago, but that has been now really influential by, um, you know, actually sketching new legislations and pushing them through, which has made, really moved Spain in forward. But uh, Jaime is also a doctor of anthropology, and he's a researcher at the uh, Autonomous University of Barcelona. Uh, bienvenido a nuestro pod, uh, Jaime. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Muchas gracias. It's so great to have you here. It's total, you're totally inspiring, as is the tenants movement. Can't wait to hear more. Muchas gracias. It's a, it's a real, real pleasure for me to, to be with you guys, whom I admire a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> The special thing with Spain, which not many people know, is that it's been the battleground of the thing that we talk a lot about in push by the, the big vulture funds like Blackstone and and people who are actually trying to to stay in their homes. So it's been a, such a strong movement. So it's actually created a new political party, which is called Podemos. And that party is now the the mayor of the, the the city of Barcelona, many other cities, but they're also now in the national government of Spain. So this movement has really been something that has been changing the political agenda in Spain. So we now, we want to know a lot. <laughs> Lenani and I, we are trying to follow whatever happens out there. We see a lot of uh, people fighting evictions. It's like it's told all the time people standing outside houses where, where the police are going to evict people. And I guess this is still something that, that you are into every day, isn't it, Jaime? Yeah, I'd, I would say that, you know, Spain is kind of a paradigm in, in two ways. On the one hand, um, in the ways that finance, capital and real estate operates nowadays on a global level, increasingly. And on the other hand, um, Spain is also a paradigm of the different ways in which people are organizing to, you know, defend the right to housing. So I think, you know, uh, we can talk about both um, if you want. Definitely. <laughs> but we, we, I mean, we talk about Blackstone 2011, 2012, entering into the American housing market and buying up debt. Buying debt, which basically means people's homes. Only we had that in a, a previous podcast here, talking about with Aaron uh, Aaron Glanz, the, the writer of Home Records. He talked about you know Blackstone picking up eighty thousand homes only in California, and and but then Blackstone moved into Spain. Can you tell us a short version of of Blackstone coming into your country? Well, as you all know, in two thousand and eight. Uh, with the financial crisis, Blackstone starts buying up a lot of housing in the U.S. Um, and they actually decide that the next big business is going to be in rents, in the rental market. 
So, you know, a lot of the housing that they acquired um, after, you know, the crazy wave of evictions that came from the mortgage crisis, they thought that, you know, people wouldn't be able to, especially impoverished people, but just normal, ordinary people wouldn't be able to buy as much as they did in the past, that they would have to access housing through uh, the rental market. So they thought this is, you know, uh, the new big business for us. And uh, there are several reports already during the financial crisis where Blackstone states clearly that, you know, the next move is Spain after the U.S., um, and the idea for them was that Spain was very attractive because of the huge mortgage financial crisis, because there was a lot of housing that they could buy very cheap to speculate with afterwards. And they also saw Spain as the, you know, as a way to enter Europe, because what they started doing in Spain, now they're doing all over Europe, all over the world, in fact, as you very well know. Somehow Spain for them was like a laboratory. And what they managed to do, not just Blackstone, also, um, you know, um, Cerberus, um, they entered Spain through the Republican Party and through the right-wing party in Spain, which were very well connected through the, um, the previous Prime Minister, José María Aznar. And basically all of these huge investment funds, what they did was to get the Spanish state to change the rules of the game. So first of all, they did it so that they could uh, get hundreds of thousands of housing units um, at a very low price. You, you know, all the housing that banks had accumulated because of the mortgage crisis. And they, and they bought them like in a package? So normal people couldn't buy. You need to be a billionaire to be able to, to, to buy, I guess. In a very short span, Blackstone um, bought uh, around 40,000 housing units. Um, and then what they did, which was key, was to get the Spanish government to change rent laws to begin with. So they diminished rent protections, protection, protections for tenants. So they said, we're going to uh, buy all this housing, but we, we want rent to be a profitable business for us. So first of all, we need to be able to evict tenants after three years, at least. So, you know, uh, rent contracts were reduced, their duration. And then the next thing they did was to get all these fiscal privileges from the state. So if you are Blackstone or Cerberus or any of these financial funds and you create a real estate investment trust, which is one of these vehicles they use to manage all of this housing, well, then you don't pay. Well, you pay less taxes than anyone, than any small business. So all of this, the, the, the result of all of this was that um, they were able to uh, increase rental prices like never before in our history. And can you tell us, how, because I've seen numbers from Barcelona that the rents have gone up like 50 or 100% in a few years. Exactly. In the, last, in the last four or five years, rent prices have spiked by 40% in cities like Madrid, Barcelona, but in just many other cities. And, uh, you know, uh, many, of these, many of the people behind these funds and, you know, in the real estate market said, okay, if you 
not, not everybody can live in the city center, just move to the suburbs. Well, the thing is that prices in the suburbs are going up, you know, as much as they are going up in the city center. Because Blackstone is also, they are also buying up, up in, in the, in the urban, suburban areas also. Yeah, one of the things that we're seeing is that although Blackstone is not the, you know, they, are, they have become the biggest landlords very fast, But it's true that they do not they do not control the whole, you know, they're not it's not a monopoly or an oligopoly. Mm -hmm. But what they've done is that they've become influencers, yes. we say influencers, we say in Spanish, <laughs> which means it's an English word, but we say it in Spanish. <laughs> And what, what they do is that they've changed in many ways how people approach housing. So local landlords, corporate landlords, you know, not global funds are somewhat mimicking what Blackstone is doing. I think, Jaime, I, I think this, this is, we, I think we see this all over the world, that exactly. that the, this kind of the financial sector are not super creative people. They are, they are basically copycats and they are copying what others do. And I think that's why we have this, this crazy development all over the world, because all, a lot of money is going into homes right now. How do you, I mean, this is what you've been looking into, Leilani. When I wrote, uh, when I was the special rapporteur, I wrote a series of letters, which are now called the Blackstone Letters. Um, and that was one of my allegations against Blackstone, not just, as you said, Jaime, that they're doing bad and causing distress to tenants, but that they established a business model that is being replicated the world over by asset management firms and pension funds and insurance companies and et cetera, and that that is part of the problem. Um, I, I just want to return to something you said, Jaime, though, that I think is so important that often gets lost, and you, you articulated it more clearly than most others, and I really liked it, which is you said the government of Spain allowed this to happen. I mean, you said it in different ways, but they changed their own legislation. And I think often it's we want to kind of go after this dark, evil corporate entity, even the name Blackstone, you know, you want to go after them. But I think we have to equally hold our governments to account for what they allowed to happen. They've changed the legislation, they made REITs or REITs very um, uh, friendly financial instrument, etc. So I'm super happy that you're, you named the government of Spain. This was also a model that was copied all over the world because the message from the International Monetary Fund and from, you know, the European Central Bank and so on was uh, that you have to open up your, you have to, you'd have to be more liberal in the way of, you know, inviting money. Then you have to, to ease make it easier for money to be invested in your country, which kind of basically opened the door for Blackstones in tons of countries, which we, and now we are suffering the effects of it. And of course, this is why we are also doing the pushback talks, because we know that after this crisis, the pandemic crisis, there will be a lot of new measures again. So now it's really time to be to look out for what they're what they're they're planning to do. But let's go back to Spain. Uh, Jaime, the, the resistance, I mean, you're a part of this. And, and Spain, 
the Spanish people really took to the streets and they defended neighbors to be from the evictions. One, one of the things that, we, that we've been seeing over the last years is that as a result of this new wave of spe spe speculation in the rental market, Evic the, the eviction rates have been going up and it's unbelievable, but we are now uh, in a wave of evictions, the likes of which it's, you know, very similar to what we saw, you know, after the huge financial crisis. So today it's back at the big high levels of, of evictions. It's, it's more or less the same um, when, you know, during the mortgage crisis, everybody thought this is a crisis which we hope to see the end of you know in the near future whatever and then somehow um it's become structural this was not in spain evictions were not part of daily life and they are again not only in spain this is a global problem as you very well know the new element is that in 2008 2009 during the last crisis um, evictions were seen as a problem of the most vulnerable populations. But since for the real estate and the financial market, the rent market has become, you know, the new big business for them, so-called, you know, middle class or working class, many, you know, people from, you know, in very different situations are affected by the housing problem. Housing is something that affects not just the most vulnerable, but increasingly a majority of the population. So one of the things that we started doing three years ago was to say that if the rental law is unfair because it allows a landlord to blackmail you at the end of the contract, you know, because it allows that landlord to say, you either pay me, you know, 400 more euros every month or you can leave next month. If the law allows any landlord to do this, because it's unfair, because it goes against human rights, we have the right to disobey it. Basically, it's been a campaign of civil dis disobedience, uh, peaceful, nonviolent. But um, so after all these months, around 2,000 households, 2,000 families have... Uh, not accepted, you know, these rental hikes. So we're talking about people that have joined this campaign. And what, what they've done is that when they get the letter saying, for instance, from, from Blackstone, saying that next month, instead of a thousand euros, you'll have to pay 2000 euros because that's what's happening. Mm. Um, so what this family does is that they say, okay, look, um, this is not fair. I want to negotiate a fair price. I'm going to keep paying a thousand euros and I know you're going to have all your lawyers trying to evict me, but I have my organization. I have the people behind me. I have the tenants union. So I'm going to try and negotiate. I want you to sit down and to treat me like a human being. And I want to negotiate a new rental contract um, that doesn't endanger my family and my whole community. After all these years of disobedience, three years more or less, we've managed to um, uh, write a new law that regulates rent prices temporarily for five years. And, and this is a cap that not only puts limits, so no more increases, but it, all, but it also forces landlords to uh, reduce the price if the price is, is especially high. 
Um, so it sounds like what's been happening in Berlin or maybe also in, in Denmark. Yeah. Yeah. Berlin is the other city in the world that is doing something or has done something similar. In fact, they were kind of a, um, a reference for us and all of these years of disobedience of anonymous people fighting back and not accepting their eviction, not accepting them being, you know, um, strangled by impossible rents. This has allowed all of us collectively to start changing the laws. And what's interesting is that uh, Blackstone has now created a lobby that is especially specifically, specifically devised to um, respond to us, to our movement. Oh, that's, you should, you should be proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, because this we have in common, they don't like us either, you know, so it's. I think it's so um, uh, inspirational in a very practical way, uh, what you're doing in Spain. When I look at North America, for example, and you look at the United States that has been well penetrated by Blackstone and Goldman Sachs and, and all of these uh, big financial actors. I think in the United States and in Canada, we are now also infiltrated by these actors, asset management firms, etc. There isn't a sense that tenants have any power to resist. In not, I mean, there are embryonic movements here and there, but it isn't strong like in Berlin and in Barcelona. We, we're constantly reading um, the uh, history of the housing movements in the US and especially New York. Um, and once one day we were both amazed and at the same time humbled by the fact that many of the things that we're doing nowadays were already invented <laughs> a century ago in New York, yeah. you know, by yeah. Irish tenants. Um, in fact, the this campaign of disobedience, we thought we were being extremely creative and, you know, because in Spain it had no precedence, you know, disobeying, you know, um, in the rental market. And it turns out, you know, then we found out that in New York, this, you know, this went a long way back. Um, and then we also learned that in New York, um, people, you know, uh, managed to gain the, the, the right to strike, right. the right not to, to withhold rent if the mm -hmm. landlord does not, you know, um, fulfill their maintenance obligations. And we were, how did they get this? Well, basically because a lot of people um, defended their rights when the laws were against them. I mean, also, even in, in PUSH, we meet, we meet people in Toronto who are on, on rent strike, and in the end, and they are successful, and then in the end, they meet people from Hamilton coming to Toronto to kind of be inspired. And they were all really, I mean, working-class people who are taking on, like, really creating the experience while doing it, you know? So it wasn't like something from organized from the top. It was really people doing it. The first time that we held an assembly and we invited people to come, you know, we said, if you have, uh, you know, on the Barcelona scale, we, we sent a message and we said, if you have problems with your rent, if they're trying to push up your rent and it's unfair, come and meet with us. And then we tried and said, we said to people, look, uh, you should not accept this. You should say, no, we know that the law is against you, but you have a movement with you now. And now you're, and now you're drafting legislation. Now you're actually, in, now you moved really one step up. So you're like into changing the rules of the game in, in, in the whole of Spain, even if you're being exactly. firstly successful now in Catalonia, but now you're taking it to the next step now. Can you tell us about that? 
So one of the things we did last year in 2019 was to extend rental contracts. So to undo some of Blackstone and the other investment funds changes. So um, now we have rental contracts that are five year long if your landlord is not mm -hmm. a company, not a, co not a corporation. And if it's a corporation, then uh, the contract has to be seven year long. It's clever. Can you say, re it's amazing. repeat this? But this is interesting, yeah. Leilani. So it's if it's a corporation that is your landlord, the contract needs to be seven year long. It's very long. Yeah, I mean, for for Sweden, it's it's a lifetime contract, so it's different, you know. In I'm, Canada, I'm, it's a year long or month to month. No, here is a seven. It's it's a lifetime, and it's and you, there is a round of negotiations negotiations between the tenant union and the landlords. But of course, they found ways. Blackstone found ways to make money also in Sweden because they round, they find ways to round also our legislation. That happened the same in Denmark and other countries. So they're creative, and they have like great lawyers to 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 mess around but this is for spain i guess this is really strong seven-year contracts so this is this is the new legislation you're going for we just took to court one of these huge equity funds because what they're doing now is that they are finding ways of um increasing the price during the contract because the idea of a seven-year contract during the seven-year contract the price is always the same the only change possible is according to inflation investment funds especially what they're doing is that after the third year they add all of these extra costs and it's actually completely illegal but they're doing it uh in a systematic and organized way um, they get together and they um with their organizations to see how they can avoid uh following you know uh, what the law obliges them to do and then the, the other thing that we did was that if the landlord is a corporation, then the tenant should never have to pay the broker fees. So, because that's a very, that's a huge problem we have too. <laughs> so the market is very deregulated, but also the middleman market. So the brokers. Brokers, they basically give a service to landlords, but they charge the tenant. This is something that, by the way, New York or Buenos Aires recently managed to change. You know, um, now tenants don't pay. And then the other big transformation, more recent one, is the regulation of prices. And this is a law that we literally wrote with the Catalan government, uh, also with a majority of the parliament. We, we had negotiations with many different parties. We had the support of thousands of organizations, civil society was with us, basically, um, economic, cultural, social organizations, you know, the third sector, um, all sorts of associations. Um, this, is, this was fundamental to win the fight, really, because when people in government, the main political parties see that this is not just a housing movement, it's society at large asking, you know, for the human right to housing to be defended. That's the success of the movements in, in especially Barcelona, Catalonia, but also in, overall in Spain, but also then, and then in Berlin, is that in these places, I mean, even if there's a lot of resistance in Toronto, in Ottawa, in in Stockholm, and you know around the world, but in these two cities, these two centers, 
the narrative is like it's like it's big headlines it's like it's on everybody's mind and that's the way you move politics you move politics by making this this the thing everybody talks about so if it's only something you talk about out somewhere the experience of the others <laughs> you know then it's something that can just roll on but if suddenly it's the it's the experience of all of us then it's hard for the polit for politics to or let's put it the other way it's it's easier for the politicians to to keep the lobbyists away because it it is a, it is also a battle between the lobby then a very well funded lobby with blackstone pouring in money and towards the resistance of 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 the civil society so that's that's really cool and that's why we should be inspired by berlin and barcelona yeah well i think that's right i think that's what we're trying to do with the shift is try to create a global narrative um, that resonates with groups like the tenants uh, union that you're leading and working with uh, Jaime and and trying to say look there's this narrative in Barcelona in Berlin in Sacramento California in New York and wherever uh, and in Lagos for example very strong narrative there a counter narrative to the dominant narrative um, and why I love it is not just because we need it and I, I, I fully believe and it's why I fully believed in Frederick's push project um, because I believe we need different narratives but it's so important for people to be able to say this is for people who have no power no money to say this is my narrative and to actually help those people have a voice and and have a narrative in this crazy world that we're living in so I, I think the work you're doing is amazing in that front can I ask one last kind of legislative question um, do you still have a law in Spain that prohibits evictions into homelessness? Because I remember at some point the government had passed some legislation that said that and that you had a system where uh, it, uh, uh, an eviction could go to court, but that an adjudicator couldn't allow that eviction to go forward if he or she knew that that person was had nowhere to live once evicted and that a social worker was supposed to come and work with the family or the household to find them some place to live or to negotiate terms so they could remain. But I've lost track of what's happened. That's a very important concept because in international human rights law, eviction into homelessness is a, a violation of the right to housing, period. There's no there's no way of looking at it any other way. And so I always thought that law was so interesting. But what has happened? Well, I'm, I'm sorry to, to, to give you this very bad news. But the, the truth is that the Spanish government is currently uh, ignoring all of the United Nations requirements to actually stop this kind of evictions. So just to give you uh, an example, in the last month, only in the city of Barcelona, 434 families have been evicted in the middle of the pandemic. Wow. This is um, 1,200 people, uh, 700 adults, and around 400 children. This only in the city of Barcelona. Both the housing movement and the city council and or other organizations are asking the Spanish government to at least 
prohibit evictions of vulnerable populations, you know, people with no housing alternative, at least during the pandemic. Um, and the government so far is not listening to this, you know, public outcry, not just organizations, also the media, you know, the media are talking about this. That's what I hear is I, I hear pure violence. Mm -hmm. It's extremely brutal. Yeah. And the violence has to do with the fact that the housing movement is very strong. So why people ask that the truth is that why, why are, why is the government sending a riot police to uh, evict um, an impoverished family, you know, with three children, with a baby? Well, the reason is that they do this because they know that um, activists are going to be at the door. Um, otherwise, I mean, we see riot police when there are people in front of the building's entrance trying to protect the family. Um, there's no riot police when there's no, you know, when it's an invisible eviction that nobody knows about. Um, but there, the, the good news is that people are mobilizing a lot. And to go back to your question before, Leilani, I think that one of the things that's happening here is that a lot of young people that want, that are, have ideals, um, are currently entering the housing movement. And one of the first things they do when they want to defend this right is to go and stop evictions. I, I think this is, I mean, because we, you, you started off with a message from our friend Hope, 17 year in, in London. And I mean, we have, a, we know we have, we have a lot of young listeners to, to our podcast because this, this is of course a really huge issue for young people. You know, where I'm going to live? Can I ever afford a home? And this is like, you have this in, in every city around the world. I mean, we've been yeah. to, to South, South Korea, we've been to San Francisco, we've been to Buenos Aires, to Santiago de Chile, to you were in Lagos and Cairo. This is what people are talking about. Also here in, in Sweden, if we, even if we on the paper have more protection, but people feel an enormous stress and especially the young people. So this is- Can mm, I give you a yeah, figure? Yeah, go, go. Uh, right now in Spain, only two out of 10 young people can leave the parents' home. And by young people, I mean uh, below 34 years, yeah, wow. years old. Two out of 10 below 34. 20%. Whoa. Yes. So, you know, eight out of every 10 young people, well, people under 34 cannot move out of their parents' home. This is the, and that that also explains, I think, why young people across all, you know, I would say social classes almost like people from uh, all sorts of backgrounds see housing as a real problem that's going to define their, you know, future. Um, and um, I think that uh that's not something limited only to Spain or Barcelona. I think this is a, a global problem, as you know. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm t I'm totally certain that this this issue will be the issue over the, the coming years, also because it's we we can feel it when we talk to people. That is, I mean, it's it's that I think that journalists and 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 politicians are are a bit behind, and they haven't really grasped it yet. And of course the. The, the lobby are totally busy with their storytelling, their solutions to the crisis, which normally means less rules. They want it to be easier for them. It's like the message from the lobby forever has been take away the regulations and happiness will come. 
and and we know that the these regulations means that the income inequality is this gap is bigger than ever around the planet so it's i mean our answer should be more democracy and more rules <laughs> more regulations yeah. i think we're really witnessing the the failure of all this deregulation which in fact is a way of regulating you know favoring the interests of the most powerful yeah. but uh over the last 35 years they've been insisting upon the idea of you know increasing housing supply this will make housing affordable we've seen exactly the opposite and right now in the middle of the worst crisis we've ever lived through they keep saying that the problem it's a supply problem supply has you know increased by 100% in all of the major cities of spain while demand so called demand has gone down because a lot of you know young students and people that were in barcelona or madrid have left and prices are you know more or less at the same level that they were you know during you know over the last five years uh, so either if there's not a public intervention and if we don't change the the uh, paradigm if we don't <laughs> shift <laughs> the paradigm as you will say then um we're gonna keep encountering the same problems mm. yep any closing uh, words leilani oh, i was only going to add that um governments are so resistant to this because it's not just about changing housing systems it's about changing finance and the in fact it's about dismantling the way many of our economies both in the north and south are structured um housing and finance play an integral role to the actual structure of economies and so that's why it's such a big threat and why we need to band together globally to challenge it because it uh, it's not going to come down easily and we've seen it in the pandemic the pandemic should have addressed so many of the inequalities that are generated through housing systems and finance systems and we haven't seen that in fact we've seen the opposite so we have our work i'm my sleeves are rolled up we have our work to do <laughs> that's good that's good i'm here uh so Jaime, thank you for being a part of pushback talks and i know you your this legislation that you now have rolling in in catalonia is now going you, you're taking it to the national government and you want them to kind of endorse it and protect it because it's of course it's challenged in in courts and so on so and you want it to be a national legislation so i wish you all the best because you're an inspiration to to all of us out there trying to to fight this fight and to all to our friends in in catalonia uh, push is available on tv3 it was just in broadcast but it's out out now on the on the so you can see it on the on their platform and i think it's also around in other places in spain if not you can go to push pushthefilm.com where you can watch the film in the us there is it's also accessible through other channels just go to pushthefilm.com and you will see um what more is important to say um, we need support frederick we need support how do people support pushback talks you can be a patreon that's it's a platform called patreon.com you go to pushback talks you can send us uh, like five or ten dollars a month and then you will help us to roll and we are for the people who are supporting us our patrons uh, we have a, 
as private Facebook group, so you can actually be in talk with us before and you know giving us ideas on what to to talk about because we we don't have any big production team around this, so we we need inspiration and help and feedback also sometimes help to reach out to interesting people around the world so please join us we need you know if you have a mighty enemy you need many friends that's how we <laughs> roll so <laughs> thank you very much and Jaime Palomera Seidel thank you for being a part of us uh, and I, I know we will keep in contact. So, but but so it's nice. This is the first time I see you, but it's uh, you, you look great. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, you too, guys. I, I just want to say it's been a, a great great pleasure for me too, and I'm speaking on behalf of uh, the union now. Um, yeah, we look up to your to what you do. Keep up the the good work you're doing, and I think that. Um, these kinds of initiatives show us the way to go. I think that we need to um, build alliances on the international global level. Whenever we do any kind of step in that direction, I can guarantee you that at, at, a, at a national level, mm -hmm. it has a huge impact. Uh, that's why, you know, when whenever we have a conflict, the first thing we do <laughs> is we call, you know, the, the rapporteur or the uh, previous rapporteur, <laughs> Like uh, Leilani, I'm also in touch. We are also in touch mm. with Raquel Rolnik. And uh, because of the fact that governments are, um, they listen, even though sometimes it looks like they don't really mm. uh, follow any of the guidelines, they listen. And I think that, you know, initiatives like the Shift, uh, like the documentary that you've done and others um, are like fundamental, really. I really believe in that. We, we, we believe Thank in them. You. And I love to hear that's like yeah. a closing note, Leilani, your voice is important. <laughs> Governments listen, we listen, and, and by talking together, we can actually change something. So thank you. And talk soon again. More podcasts, More podcasts to come. To come. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Jaime. Bye, Frederick. Bye. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>